Jim Joyce, it's Wednesday. Oh, Wednesday. We did it, man. We did it. We did it. Yeah. 90, is, 90 something episodes. I think this will be 93, 94. I'll, I'll, I'll know it when I'm uploading this uh, later tonight. Yeah. But we're, we're, we're getting to that magic, you know, three digits of number of episodes. I right, like it. Right. You seem pretty, you seem pretty pumped. Business going well. We're just firing in all cylinders. Like it used to be, you know, we're we're so like U.S. focused, right? And so like we would do our Spanish mornings, kind of chill a little bit, you know, start a day. Right now we're just we're six thirty a.m. Go for a run, meditate, a little yoga, breakfast, and then just get cranking because it's just not enough hours uh, in the day. This is our 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 yeah. guest. Our guest is texting us already. Um, awesome. Which is great. Um, yeah, one one quick thing. So I guess we could. Uh, the only thing that I saw is uh, row another 150 mil at a seven billion valuation. I mean, and I don't remember when yeah. the last round was, but another two billion up. So it's uh, a bit crazy. But let's see. Yeah. You know, maybe I, I, we won't hit him up with that question directly right now. But um, right. we're gonna let in. Um, Mr. John Driscoll, who, uh, gosh, um, I still, I still had hair. Um, I don't know if you can hear me yet. <laughs> when, when, when him and I uh, worked at, um, at, yeah, back in the good old Metco days. So he is. Uh, right. He was. Do you call that like? Uh, is that kind of p hair and a ph and ah pre hair right? or before pre hair or. <laughs> John, welcome to the hey. show. John, Jim, Jim, John. I was just saying as we were letting you in that I think when we first met during our Metco uh, days together, I still had like a full head of hair. So you had some hair. All right, fair enough. Fair enough. You were you were you were hair competitive. Yes, I like that. Right, right, Very right. competitive. That's a that's a good one. I never I never use right. that term. You're now you're now 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 you overachieve in terms of glare. <laughs> yes. So right, so right. is your so is your host. I I feel like we should have had uh, David on with us actually, right? Because you guys do this awesome care talk um, podcast YouTube. Um, you have fun, and I think you two meaning John and Jim are the guys with hair and uh, I guess David and I are the guys without the hair. Yeah. You, you were follically challenged. Yeah, right. there right. you go. You bring that up a lot. <laughs> well, John, you, I, I don't think we've met, had the pleasure to meet, but you, you have a, you, your reputation precedes you. So pleasure to spend, well, for me, it's in, I'm in Dublin. So Wednesday evening, you're well, based that's out cool. of- What do you, what do you, uh, what, what, what do you do in Dublin? I have a company called Health Beacon, uh, technology health tech for uh, injectable medication management. How'd you get into, why, why'd you land in Dublin? I love Dublin. Do you spend time in Dublin? Yeah, yeah. Like, I, have a long, I have a long, long history with uh, with Dublin. So I, I went to school here and I have At some- UC, like UCD or TCD? UCD, yep. UCD, yep. went to school here. And, uh, and then I ran a pharmaceutical division for a big pharma company here and I have an Italian wife that wanted to 
that live yeah. between Boston and Venice. So this is a little <laughs> compromise. I used to, one of, United, United Drug used to be one of my partners over there. And ah, okay. so this is over there. And then my, my, my relatives, my grandparents and, and, um, and cousins are actually from Castletown Bear. Okay. Or the Bear, the Bear and Peninsula. Look at that. So south, Southwest. And so when the Russians recently um, acceded to moving their mil naval operations farther out east right. from the Castletown Bear got a lot of coverage uh, right. because if you recall, they brought shrimp to the to the to the to the to the, to the, to the ambassador, and they actually moved their stuff up. But, but in the CNN spots, they're all um, uh, they're they're all shot. Many of them are shot in O'Donohue's bar, and the woman who runs O'Donohue's bar, they're all relatives. O'Donohue, okay. The O'Donohue's are relatives. The woman right. who runs the bar is a relative. She's got one son who runs the body shop, and another son who runs the lifeboat operation. And so right. I figure you know, between drinking, picking up the errant sailors and, 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 and busts of cars, we've got the, the market figure. It's a very, it's a small country. So it's easy to get. That must, have been, that must have been big news, big news, you know, getting the Russians and being in it. Was, it was hilarious. It was hilarious. And we're all, we all know some of the people in the pictures. It was really funny. Like, right. But, but what a great place Jim actually called himself American Irish, you know, you know, typically Irish American, but it's the it's the American Irish. Yeah. So um, that's well, there's that's, very few people who out migrate to Ireland, but other than folks who started there, but that's right, hilarious. Right. And where do you live? Where do you live in Dublin? We're in a place called Ranala, just city center, and you know mm -hmm. Dublin pretty well. A little bit, yeah, yeah, like about twenty minute walk from uh, Stevens. The rough, it's a rough winter there, dude. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, I've, I've been here for so long. I, I kind of my view. It's definitely right. My view is when you first moved, I think for people that move to somewhere like it could be like a Belgium too, or like Ireland. Or whatever, well, is it no, you, Ireland, Ireland and England suck in the winter. Right. Right. But you kind of, what happens is you trade. It depends on where are you, where are you based? Uh, Connecticut. Okay. So when you give up the cold, cold, right. And then you come in here, you actually first winter is like, it's not so bad. You know, we don't have to like shovel our way out of driveway. I found it miserable. I went to school at Cambridge and worked at LEK. And, and so I spent a bunch of time living in, out and around London and Cambridge. I found the winter hard. I guess it, when you start making money, you can go to Portugal, but right. there's, there's some quick <laughs> escapes. Yeah, well, no, we're, we're, we're in Barcelona. We decided, you know, to get away from I know, you've uh, got, rainy you've got Amsterdam. Figure out. Um, you got you know. it figured out. Right. Anyway, um, so it's funny to see, right, uh, another podcast YouTube host uh, actually loving to ask the question. So we're going we're gonna to reverse this on you, John. Sure, this um, is fun. This we're we're going to reverse so, this. So tell me, tell me who, who's your audience? They're, yeah, listen, they're listening now. <laughs> they're listening now. Yeah. No, no, we've um, got, this is set up. I don't know when you set up your podcast, but ours is entirely uh, non-promotional in mm -hmm. the sense of, of this was a COVID rescue operation, you know, for mental health between Eugene and I, who were kind of uh, self-declared extroverts that couldn't go interact. <laughs> it's with horrible. We know it's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> and we said, we're just going to bring on interesting people like John Driscoll on a Wednesday and we're going to have a chat and we're going to post it. And we're just, and that's, if that's all it is, it, that's all it it's is. But not, we're going to be something else later. 
Yeah, it's not produced as as actually Emmy, uh, Jim's wife, uh, I think after the first episode that we recorded called it meticulously unproduced. And uh, it's true. We we typically, you know, all of, all of this, as we've been talking, is just going to go, um, you know, no, okay. no, no production editing. Um, so let, let's actually then dive in to get to know sure. for our millions. But to answer your question, we got all of our, our fans in the digital health community. Uh, but we've we actually had feedback from even like some patients that are listening. And, you know, so it, it's been kind of interesting uh, to kind of hear feedback awesome. and where this spreads. Um, who, but is, let's, who is John Driscoll? Yeah, who is John Driscoll? Let, let's uh, take, take, take us through the, uh, through the path of John Driscoll. And then we'll so, veer um, you off. <laughs> grand, grand, grandchild of immigrants, um, went to Harvard, Harvard business, Harvard, Harvard undergraduate in Cambridge, thinking that I was going to get involved in military history and strategy and got a master's in sort of history oriented that direction and got bored with, with, with spending time in libraries, um, came back and got involved with um, developing housing programs for homeless families because I'm very mission oriented and mentally ill folks because um, I was just irritated about the challenge of homeless people in America. And I thought it could be, we, we got involved in some local state and state government. And that gave me a window into how much money we were spending in things like healthcare programs and housing programs that just weren't tuned to, to, to make sense to the changing situation on the ground. And then when I went to, went to, got a chance to go to graduate school, came out, was a management consultant for a, a, a bit um, to pay, basically to pay off all of the money I'd, I'd borrowed and had couldn't pay back when I was a student. And um, did that took a couple of years and then fell in love with healthcare, a place where you could um, do good and do well. And where, you know, a lot of, again, the same problems I saw in, in solving the homeless problem where we had more empty housing, public housing units in America than we had homeless families. And yet, and, and we were spending titanic amounts of money in the wrong places. That sort of was not that dissimilar from healthcare. Yeah. And I got a, I got a chance to go work at Oxford Health Plans. Uh, you'd rather be lucky than smart. When I joined at Oxford in 1991, we had about 80 employees and 100 million in revenues. And five years later, we were four and a half billion in revenues, 5,000 employees. Wow. Um, we, uh, 1.3 billion, I ran the government programs. I was the first person in government programs and ran it. Uh, to, it was about a billion, three, a billion, four. Met all met, we were top 10 in the country in Medicare and Medicaid. And um, was, we were sort of the, one of the fastest growing companies in America. And then 1997, we hit a wall with a with a with a botched computer transition, and um, I was asked. One of a few guys asked to actually hang around and try to fix the place, which we did over the next four years. Eventually, it was sold to um, uh, United, um, but we did a just a. We ended up just building some fantastically interesting programs in Medicare and Medicaid managed care, and through two great CEOs, uh, Steve Wiggins and Norm Payson, got a chance to. Uh, test and try uh, and learn to be a, a, a decent manager and to, to embrace sensible innovation. I've got interested in technology uh, um, and then went to work with Jay Walker, who started Priceline and worked for him in, in kind of the digital innovation of Walker Digital when Priceline was doing quite well. In fact, I perfectly timed the top initially <laughs> over 300 bucks a share when I joined. And I think at the end of the year, it was worth about three bucks. Uh, it was, oh, one, it was the crash of the internet. And it was fascinating to both learn a lot about digital innovation 
and also about the, the the madness of crowds and the mad and even the greater madness of investors and markets. What a cool service, though. You know, it was our friend from Star Trek, right? Like, was yeah, no, Jen, no, Jen, no. Then that was all Jay. Jay picked Bill Shatner, and 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 he right. he really understood the power of promotion as well as anyone. But also, we built something that, and a team around it that was one of the great survivors and thrivers. You know, the stock went from like three three or four bucks when when I left to. I think it's over a, a couple of thousand now. I mean, it's an extraordinary um, business. I mean, it was the it was the the promise of digital innovation was quite clear. Right. The execution was all over the place. Right. And then um, spent three or four years, you know, working in uh, the healthcare turnarounds and some technology turnarounds, and then had the opportunity to come work for Medco, um, where I got to know you, Eugene. I don't know whether when you came in, but I came in in 03 when. Um, Merck thought that Medco was the was weighing them down, right, right, and right. Uh, needed to be. Uh, and it was I think forty seven attorneys general were after us, and we were not. We were we were successfully losing some of the best names of American in American uh, business. I, I think and, I came um, in we, right before, by the way, Dave Snow uh, and Kenny came in. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So you were there right about the time. Yeah. So I came yep. in with Dave. And um, yep. I'd worked with Dave before and uh, I was in charge of everything kind of outside of the conventional business. So um, our digital businesses, our, um, all, all of our retail contracting, um, all of our, you know, the, put together the international businesses for us. I started Part D, which was a, turned into a $28 billion business for, for uh, Medco. Um, Put together sure scripts, the cross industry collaborative yeah. that, that enabled digital prescribing. Um, you know, I was really uh, did uh, deployed about ten billion dollars of capital over mm-hmm. the nine years, and then led the sale to Express, and um, was involved in kind of all kinds of fun stuff. And you know, Medco was a great organization, but it was a, uh, I think it didn't have a very clear mission and business model, um, and. We were very clear that we had to kind of reinvent the business and where we would make money every couple of years. Mm, yeah. And we successfully did that. And then went to, because I sort of fascinated by big companies and small technology and not went to Castlight for about a year, which is okay. the digital software transpa- uh, transparency and engagement platform. Mm. Left there within a year because they had the opportunity to become the CEO of CareCentrics, where, where our mission is to help transform the last mile you know, to... Uh, help people heal and age at home and to kind of bring a little bit more heart, uh, uh, heart centered service um, and intelligent analytics and sensible support for vulnerable patients and chronically, chronically ill people who like my 88 year old mother want to spend as little time in doctor's offices and hospitals yep. and nursing homes as possible. That's, that's sort true. of my, sort of my, what, what, what I, that, that's sort of the career. So yet you haven't been up to much. Yeah, you could argue, Jim, that it's just a function of ADD, right? That I, I have a hard time actually staying. You no, know, I, I, I think there's a lot of opportunity everywhere you look in healthcare. Sure. Um, my, my problem may be just staying on it long enough to, 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 to build a career. But I, the thing about it, this is a target-rich environment for fixing things. Mm-hmm. 100%. So, so, and care, John, care-centric. Okay, go uh, yeah, I was, I, well, maybe just uh, care centrics. Um, I, I want to actually go back a little bit uh, because to sure. me, and we ha- we do have a lot of entrepreneurs that watch this, right? And, and I think um, 
your your background, I'd love to kind of know from maybe some of those paths, like what were the aha moments, right? Like, you know, at Oxford, right? You guys hit a wall. Like, what what was some key lessons, right, um, that you, you know, took I, out? I, I, I mean, I, I think I think Oxford, it was fascinating because I think that we knew we had a problem before the market did. And I think there's enormous cultural pressure when you've got a one of the fastest growing companies in America, you're hiring some of the best people. I worked with some of the best people I've worked with in healthcare at Oxford. Right. Um, and, you know, I think we've got probably like 15 to 20 CEOs who spun out of Oxford. But I think that the, what, what, um, what that taught me was a, a real, you know, a real sense of um, the, you always have to kind of trust your own gut and, and, and trust your own numbers because there's enormous pressure not to acknowledge the obvious that there's a market change that the, right. that um, your your you know we didn't know we were going to hit a wall with a system conversion, but we knew that the growth rate we were driving was setting expectations in the marketplace that were very very high. And I guess what that's given me is a I, I think I was reasonably modest going into it with all the things that I'd screwed up before. Um, and it may be a lot more modest and sensitive to kind of being in the numbers and really knowing exactly where right. you are. And then the just the, the great insight from Oxford, having worked there and elsewhere, is make is the power of putting the best people on the field and of a deep relationship with your customer. When we hit a wall, the fact that we had phenomenal team members. Yeah. Um, who completely leaned in and the fact that the stock price fell by 70% or so. I think we, we announced that we had a problem on October 27th, 1997. And the only reason we were below the fold of the New York Times is because the Russians devalued the ruble that day. And, <laughs> but, and then when the, when the regulators came in and talked to doctors and, and patients about, you know, well, should these guys be held up, slowed down, stopped? Um, right. They, they, the, the answer was they may not be able to pay claims, but they're the best health plan out there. And the other, the only ones who actually pay attention to my needs as a provider or my interests uh, as a patient. And so the power of that, you know, deep, if you really are less transactional and more um, commitment oriented as a service provider in healthcare, it really is a differentiator. Um, And the other one is, you know, just, being a little bit more modest. And, and the final thing is just get the best talent around you you can have. Right. You know what I, it was in listening to you kind of run through your career and all these different moments was um, just reflecting on, you know, like as an entrepreneur, it's like someone like myself who I've done a lot of like green shoots companies, like come up with a concept, an idea and kind of drag the company through those early stages of development. And you're always, you know, you're gagging for the growth, the next milestone or kind of like the next achievement. And you, you know, like the idea that you have, like, you know, like just listening to your experience, like you've had these moments where the companies like scale and then they come back down to earth and yeah. they come there is I, 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 I'm more reflective now as I go along as, as the negative impact of fast growth or over expectations on companies. But you but there's nothing like that aphrodisiac of monster growth. <laughs> Realizing that next quarter, you need to hire 200 customer service reps and you need to, and you need to rent an airplane hangar in order to just run the interviews. Right. I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, um, a, a, there's adrenaline, there's a thrill 
a right. thrill you get, a feeling in your nose right. when things start to really explode. And you just you just need to keep your hands on the freaking wheel right. and eyes on the road <laughs> because it is exciting. But right. you can otherwise fly off the road or into a wall. Right. But it is well, fun. we're we, we always don't, 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 don't tell me, Jim, that you're somehow like, oh my God. I just want to grow 15%. I don't want to take oh, yeah. that hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, Come on. You know, yeah. Come on. Yeah. If you know, yeah, you know, if, if you're you knew, full you, of crap you, on that one. Yeah. Listen, you, you know, my, Marine, Marine and I always discuss this, right? Like it's this exhilarating, um, like, you know, where you're standing kind of at that edge and you, but you can fly, right? Like he can still fly. Right. That yeah. exhilaration of like, holy shit. Yeah, it's gonna you just got to remember to plan the landing. <laughs> yes. Right. Flying is not the soft, hard part. Soft yeah. landing, especially, right? Yeah, um, yeah. No, you're right. You're right. So you definitely again, there's something you, right? special. Yeah. So, you know, I, what I think is you get, make you know, the, 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 the flame outs make you a lot more modest about the, the good days. It's still fun, but I'm just to be serious for a moment. Oxford hit a wall. Priceline hit a wall. Uh, Medco was really in trouble when we started. I mean, and I've been in other stuff that, that you know, where you go in and you realize, nah, they didn't really have the technology and there's leans against the hardware. And oh, that CEO, you know, he probably should have settled that lawsuit. You know, and you're <laughs> no. like, what? <laughs> and, and, but it's a, it just makes you more modest, but there, but there, there is a real thrill, Eugene. Yeah, when you when you when you oh, realize yeah. that you start levitating, yeah, you crack something, you figure yeah. something out, some kind of magic moment. The business is coming in. You're right, like you get people will work all kinds of hours to, yeah. you know, to satisfy the order or fill the script or yeah. get the tech turned or wherever. Yeah, yeah. So maybe but, just jump I forward. Just speak very go ahead. very clear. The flip that that career around and just point out each one of those inflection points included a failure, Jim. And I think that's just the nature of it is, you know, if you're building something new, you're growing faster, you're trying to break some break in, you're going to have some, some crashes. Like there's not going to, like, I remember talking to a, a guy who was a race car driver and I said, do you ever crash? And he goes, oh yeah, that's how you learn. Right. And I yeah. feel like to some degree building great growth companies, you got to be, you got to be kind of battle ready for the hits. Well, I, yeah. you know, I, what struck me and even why I was digging in on that point was I was just thinking about how amazing the experience was with Priceline, you know, oh, yeah. like that was like this. And, you know, we were all part of that Internet, you know, dot com phase and Priceline was the company and they, and they delivered. A, it was a good service. You'd go in oh, yeah. there and, and it was transformative. It's a bit like it felt like with Uber or something else yeah. that like, you know, you hit a button and a car comes, you, you know, this and your hotel prices. And we didn't have that before. And then you're like, you know, the and I guess they ultimately Priceline did and they survived the ups and downs. But that kind of how do you grab hold of all that? You know, like remember the shows we used to have in the States where you would, um, you know, someone would be able to run through a supermarket and take everything. Oh, yeah. And, like know, prices, right. Or something. What I like there's, there's a bunch of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just grab it, grab it all. And, um. Yeah. <laughs> So let, let's fast forward, right? I, you, uh, care centrics. Um, maybe a you can chat a little bit about you know the Walgreens. Uh, I think, and I don't don't remember off the top of my head the percentage of the company that they bought. Um, and probably in the context of you know we've been talking about kind of home care and that last mile for so many years, right? Um, so what what's different now? And it's kind of interesting so the. But I'll, I'll pause. Yeah. So I think it's, so. So care centrics. What we do, just to be very clear, is manage the last mile: home health, home infusion, home DME. 
one of the things that CareCentrics is the best at is being that playing that general contractor role and stepping into that partner role with health plans and help we serve health plans right now. And so we are effectively upstream from the dollars, which puts us in a position to kind of see everything, develop smart analytics and have an edge because this is the only thing we do. And then we've expanded to there to take risk for Medicare, Medicaid and commercial plans for um, SNF, ERF, uh, uh, and LTAC days, you know, those, those, those rehab facilities and nursing homes that people go to post-discharge um, to do per member per month, you know, capitation and risk for home health and home DME um, and all cause readmission risk to hospitals and nursing homes for 90 days. So we're extending that risk, building it up by the cost categories that are the health plans, our customers, and then taking more risk when you're that general contractor for risk and it's the only thing you do, you can optimize around site of care so that people can get more healthy days at home or healthier days at home and can avoid complex places. I think what's different, Eugene, now um, is one, visiting the hospital is one of the fastest growing risks uh, uh, to your health. Uh, It's one of the fastest growing causes of death, the associative causes of death. Um, I think COVID, has made created a permanent reset around two important things: the patient's relationship to the healthcare system, realizing that it can be virtual, distant, and effective, and off much healthier. Yep. And the providers starting to really get comfortable with um, asynchronous and digital care. But the biggest change has been the patient, and I think that the it's accelerated the obvious, which is that no one should spend more any more day at the hospital and they should. My sister um, uh, died of cystic fibrosis in the 60s. And even as a young kid, you know, your sister who's suffering horribly in a tent at home, that every day at home is a, is a gift and every day at the hospital um, is a loss. And anyone who's had been, a bit, been around chronic illness, uh, catastrophic challenges, uh, 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 has anyone who's medically vulnerable knows that you know you don't want your loved ones to be in a critical care facility or a nursing home any more than they need to. And what's changed is I think we've got that attitude has changed, and we have developed smart analytics that and a comprehensive solution so that we aren't dropping the ball on patients. We're doing the care traffic control and management that often isn't done. You know, the average patient leaves a hospital with you know, four to six orders on what looks like, you know, a, it, it has the tone of an IRS document right. uh, and, and, the, and, the, and the clarity of a bad hostage negotiation note. I mean, it just, it doesn't, it's not, it's, and you're, 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 you're giving people direction at a time when they are, you know, pretty, it's pretty, yeah. they're, they're, they're dealing with a complicated set of emotions. And so I think the fact that we can, as a be partner, and accompany the patient, the fact that patients want it. Um, and I also think, Eugene, that the, the, the pressure to deliver more healthy days at home is yep. higher. And we've just had this massive, massive experiment. UPenn Hospital overnight shifted all of their cancer care to the home. They'd never done it before. Mm. And it wasn't because they chose to, they had to. Yep. And it kind of worked. There's a lot of things that need to happen in the hospital and need to happen in person. But you know, 30 to 50% of the things that probably happen today in hospitals and nursing homes will not be happening there right. uh, 20 years from now. And why can't we accelerate that? 
Well, first you have to understand the last mile, which we do. Then you need to build kind of intelligent analytics, which we've done. And then you need to really help um, by hand through digital tools and through network knit together a, a sensible, intelligent, and supportive solutions for your patients because it's really complicated to be a patient or to be a doctor who's trying to help navigate that for patients in the last mile. When you think about all of these, you know, this fascinating emerging category of digital health tools that you know ultimately should find its way in at home if they're successful, right? Um, you know, what's the next five years look like? Will I have, you know, will I have five or six tools? Because today it's still it's still relatively scant, right? Like you don't have that many digital health tech tools. Maybe if you're on your system, no, it feels it feels a little bit like um, the uh, you know the the 1600s when that when Europe would take stuff to the natives and they they'd say, okay, well here's here's how we do a loom or here's how a gun works, and, and the natives are like, what? Like that's kind of we the natives in healthcare are have dealing with these new right. technologies that are being dropped in the village. And you're like, well, yeah, yeah imagine right. London and maybe it would work. I, I, I don't think I've ever heard that, that analogy before. I mean, it's, but it's, still, it's sort of like, I mean, but that's, there's this culture clash right. uh, that, that's up there with the, 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 the conquistadors showing up. The yeah. difference is that in this round, the natives are, are, are beating the conquistadors. Right. Well, <laughs> you know, it's funny when I go- incumbents are winning. When but I, I, think visit, I think I do think mind. it's going to change, and I th I think what's going to change is that, well, two things are going to change. One, you've got inter you've got sensible intermediary infomediaries like us. Mm. We can be that connective tissue for digital innovation innovators like in remote pa patient monitoring, and traditional hospitals and health plans because their clock speed in terms of innovation is never going to increase. About it'll increase, but it won't get that fast. Right. We can innovate faster and and help deliver it in a more conventional way. And I think there's an entire industry of of uh, added value intermediaries that can help accelerate a, sens a sensible mix of digital and value based innovation in the last mile. Right. And I think the technology is getting better. Our standardization is starting to get to a point where it makes sense. But you're still going to need these intermediaries like CareCentrics to make to accelerate innovation. I, I just you don't you, you just don't see it with a lot of the other traditional incumbents, and, and it's not a bad thing that healthcare is safe and slow because often slow is safe. Mm -hmm. um, but if we're going to actually get at the the, the cost problem, um, I think we've got to you've got to have people like us in the middle, whether it's anything from palliative to home health to managing keeping people out of the hospital. Um, integrating digital tools and not just hardware, but a lot of analytics and accelerate the use of analytics in the last mile. I, I want to add one other thing. And I think we've seen, uh, and Jim, I think your, your device as health beacon, and this is not a promo, but uh, I, I remember, you know, when Jim and I've used the story, like ran up to me, it was in London health 2.0 showing this beautiful picture of this device, which you can say what it does, but um it's the user experience with whether it's the remote monitoring, whether it's the tools, whether it's the platforms, whether it's the apps, it's the user experience that we in healthcare have not been used to, it's been improving, right? And so for that mm -hmm. same 88 year old grandma now to install something might be much easier today than it was even mm -hmm. three years ago, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. I mean, I, I think the, U, the UI is a lot easier. And by the way, my mom is wants the digital tools. Mm. She finds them kind of frustrating, but she wants them. Yeah, same with my folks. Like I, I, I find when I go visit them in Cocoa, Florida, and I spend all my time as a, a IT help desk, you know, personnel, and they're hungry. They're hungry for, and then people say, oh, well, someone over the age of 80 won't implement digital health tech yet. You know, she's arguing with Alexa, ordering her Amazon, you know, or groceries are being delivered online. She's Zooming, she's Facebooking, you know, you know, like it's almost like she's reading on her Kindle. You know, I'm looking, I'm going like, what? Like this woman is adopting more digital health tech. Like she's adopting like two apps a week, you know, or something, you know, and like, what are you talking about? And yeah, they get frustrated. Exactly. They get frustrated with it, but they love it. No, yeah, no. And I think think this, we're all frustrated with it. <laughs> I, you know, we, we were just chatting before we let you in. Um, we were ta- talking about another 150 mil for row at a seven billion valuation. Um, I know, John, you and I kind of discussed. Um, w- I mean, there's these crazy rounds, which you know, again, if you look at this as a four trillion plus industry, there's a lot of things that can be improved, right? How, how do you look at this, right? Um, and maybe not real specifically, well, but just from I, an investment I, cycle. I wouldn't be putting dollars into the digital health world right now because I think the valuations are nuts. I mean, I think that the it's it's unless you have something really special and you're getting at early stage, the amount of money that's available. I mean, unfortunately, well, for, for fortunately for entrepreneurs, there's a lot more money available on better terms than ever. But I've lived through these wild up rounds in 01. And Jim, we talked, we, we referred to it before. Um, ultimately, you know, you, you trade on um, gross margin and growth rate, net margin and growth rate as a tech company or EBITDA multiples as a services company. Mm. Um, and the companies will either make money and grow fast um, with real margin, or they'll just be, you know, the, the whitened bones of, of tech investors trying to come to healthcare and impose, uh, <laughs> uh, impose a new paradigm in healthcare. Uh, I've been on the beaches of, of healthcare forever. I mean, there, there's a, there's a, um, you know, whether it's Intel or Microsoft or Google or Facebook, they've all said they're going to take on healthcare and yep. they are the smartest guys in the room and they've all failed. Um, I think there's a lot of, having said that, there's a lot of room for digital innovation. There's a lot of opportunity to improve things, uh, but there are hype cycles that get over, 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 uh, 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 you know, overinflated. And I think we're in one right now. There's just no way you can, and you look at some of those private rounds are being done in a pretty high number, but vast majority of public HCIT, you know, technology services companies in healthcare are down 70%. And they may be down a bit more, you know, depending on the day. Um, mm-hmm. And we, we are, I think, quickly shifting from uh, valuations that are uh, 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 adjusted for, you know, sort of a discount to, to total addressable market to... Um, how long can you survive on your cash and when do you make money? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, that you're going to see those, I think, 70%, 80% compressions on last year's valuations in the public market, I think, start to flow through in the private side. Mm-hmm. And, that'll be like, he- and that'll be healthy. Yeah. 
I feel like when you think about these like massive, you know, disruption events that are happening in other sectors and you have these exploding valuations, let's just look at like, you know, social media as communication tools or, you know, video uh, communications through the likes of YouTube or wherever, you know, wherever they TikTok or Instagram. And I feel like you pump these valuations, you inspire all these entrepreneurs you move a lot of the talent and the tech talent to the other side of the balance sheet away from the big companies. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, now the guys are showing up, like, you know, you're walking in, like I know as a digital health tech company, like, you know, now we're showing up with real money, you know, with real tech talent, you know, with real valuation. So when we go in and negotiate with industry, pharmaceutical and insurance companies, our, our hand is a little stronger. Yeah, right? no you know, maybe you need that to disrupt healthcare. You need to kind of, you know, move the balance sheet to the disruptors like Eugene with your coach or wherever. Yeah. Oh. I mean, what do you think, Eugene? I, I honestly, I think um, where where I'm losing my mind a little bit is, you know, I just saw a tweet earlier, you know, how many digital health companies have reached 5 million ARR plus, right? And there's a bunch of responses in there that by their estimation, maybe two to 3%, right? And so to me, what I don't understand is what are the founders really signing up for? When, when you take in you know, another 150 million at 7 billion, I, I, to be honest, I don't know what Bro is making in revenue. I didn't look. Uh, but even at that but earlier it's not, stage- not, It's not that big. <laughs> no, I, I, and, and that's what, look, uh, to your point, the TAM might be ginormous, right? And it is. But then, you know, what's the sum, right? Like, how do you actually go achieve it? And then it's great to be part, you know, have a percent, a large percentage, I'm assuming of a 7 billion, but it's all paper, right? It's, it's all, it's all virtual. Again, I remember, I, remember there was a great Forbes interview with Jay Walker, and he was like the $13 billion man at one point. And when we were like 300 bucks a share, and they said, what's it like? He said, well, it's not, it's, it's, it's sort of like, they said, you know, it mean, it's meaningless. He said, what do you mean? He said, well, like, I'm not going to sell it. So it's like asking me what the value of my arm is. Like, it's whatever, it's whatever you think it's worth. I'm not going to sell it. And you're going to say it's worth this number. Who cares? Yeah. And I thought that was a very sensible, you know, from one of the great promotional salesmen of his generation, valuations are nonsense. I mean, it's a, it's, it's, um, um, it's, it's whatever, it's whatever the, I mean, there's that great Warren Buffett line about, you know, it's a voting machine in the short term markets are a voting machine in the short term and a, and a weighing machine in the long term. I think that's true, but, but without a question, people's value valuations on the, on the day-to-day -day basis are crazy. And I think particularly if you've got a great market and a good company and you've got a track record and you've got more money than good ideas, which is true, in a lot of in a lot of healthcare investment pools, there's a still a lot of private equity and venture money on the on um, you know sitting on the sidelines. Eugene, that creates the you know, you're you're yep. putting you know you're basically you know light kindling you know you know sort of spray fuel. I mean, it's <laughs> it's going to be crazy over time. There'll be a flame and then it'll come down, but you know right. you don't. You can't fight that tape. Did you, there's also this idea that, you know, I feel like the, the maturation of the digital health tech that, you know, it's, it's not software, it's not, you know, biotech or, you know, it's not mm -hmm. classic device tech. So there's this kind of confluences, but it actually turns out it takes a lot of money to bring these products to market. 
It mm-hmm. takes a lot of money, a lot of competency, like competencies like that you've picked over the years working with insurance companies and reimbursement and Medicaid and, you know, classifications and integration of care. So like, the re, you know, you just can't get away. And I think there's, that's starting to dawn that it's like, if you don't fund these companies to a certain level, they're not going to get through those milestones, right? They, they you know, it's not. Yeah, a, but people have been getting, people just have been getting, whether it's from Tiger Globe or SoftBank, I mean, the, to your point, Eugene, the numbers are insane. And, but again, I, I've watched the movie before and I, I, um, you know, I think companies like CareCentrics that, you know, cover tens of millions of people and deliver lots of service every day and, and are in the boring part of the health plan services side, but pull technology through, that's where I'd be looking to invest and support because those are highly scalable, scalable proven models. But in a funny way, if you're losing money and you're unproven, you get, you get a bigger uh, um, uh, valuation Right. promote a, a, a value than if you actually have to make money and do stuff. Right. And I don't think that's going to change. I think it's nature. You want to, if you can sell something that the buyer wants to believe you're going to do it. Right. And it, yeah, and sell, it sell the dream. You. Right. Yeah. But you know, your, your comment about your, your question or comment earlier, like uh, you, you said something earlier uh, under different contexts, but the cultural pressures of growth, right? Um, and no. I feel like there's a lot of cultural pressures of raising money now, right? Uh, mm. As you talk to other entrepreneurs, like, oh, did you see so-and-so raise 100 mil or 50 mil? And why aren't you raising 50 mil? And, it's you know, the wrong, it's, and, that's the, and, and it's, it's like, the, what it's about the impact? Easy. Yeah, no, I think, I think, well, that's when it's, is it about the money or the work? Like I think at CareCentrics, we've got real mission. Uh, our mission is to help people heal and age at home. Everybody has a personal story about why this is so important for them. Um, and we'll negotiate great deals with Walgreens or whatever. One of the things that's exciting about the Walgreens partnership, they, they're buying 55% and they're going to buy another, the rest of it about in about a year, um, is they see us as an opportunity to really organize and intelligently apply uh, uh, our solutions and be a capital source for us to grow over the next few years. And there just aren't that many players that, that can scale reliably with a very high level of confidence around we've never, we, we, we guarantee, you know, probably hundreds of millions of dollars of savings to plans every year, probably close to that. And we've never paid out on a guarantee. We guarantee service levels. We don't pay out on that. We, and we've got, you know, we've got enormously positive feedback. We've invested in a in a company. We just won. I think it's. I think the Forbes thing hasn't been announced, but great fit place place to work has been announced. Fortune's most admired list. The the top places to work remotely. We invested in a culture that was people centered and service oriented, so that if you touch our organizations, you're going to feel that. We've got scalable technology. We built the analytics. We're going to be able to. To, to, to scale reliably over time, regardless of the hype, hope, or fear cycle. I think we're about to enter a fear cycle. Um, I'm nervous about what's going on in the Ukraine. And what's exciting about Walgreens is they've got a very traditional model, and we could hopefully help leverage technology and pharmacy to really even improve what we're doing for patients today. Mm-hmm. Would, would love to kind of dive keep keep diving deeper there's just so much wisdom uh coming out but um even though a lot of wisdom come out i think i'm jim i'm going to turn it over to your you know famous kind of last question um <laughs> get get ready for this one mr driscoll 
Well, I think what's what's fascinating is this underpinning of this this throughout the the, the talk here, John, is this underpinning of a, a Russian event. You know, whether it's your yeah. homeland, <laughs> Ukraine, or there was another Russian event. I think when you were there was something about the ruble the crashing. Ru ruble, the yes, the Russians are coming. The Russians are coming. Eugene, do you understand this? <laughs> so I do. I do speak Russian, so, but I'm Ukrainian born. So I am also very. I know. Very so you, this is this is a, this is a time of very of real fear. Right. So Indeed. imagine yourself, imagine your, imagine your, you know, there, there was a different pathway for the Driscolls, right? You know, so that they didn't emigrate, they didn't emigrate to America. Some of them stayed behind in a, a small village in Ireland, but there was a young genius Driscoll relative. I don't have any had, of those. <laughs> well, there's a, they came out of the body shop, <laughs> the fish and chip. And they invented an absolutely transformative piece of digital health tech mm -hmm. that could easily integrate into the homes across America. And you're looking at that young entrepreneur and you're giving him advice. What advice would you, would you give to that? Entrepreneur? I'd call the Collinsons who, who just built Stripe and say, whatever they did, do that. <laughs> do it again. <laughs> they are self-made billionaires. They grew up in a small rural part of middle of the country. And uh, they had dial-up internet from the, the library. Right. And they built one of the most, the most brilliant fintech intermediary companies. They're, they're gentle. They're smart. They figured it out. I think that the idea is you got to charm West Coast investors with that Irish accent. Uh, but, I, but I'd get close to the Collinson brothers. Whatever they did. Uh, that, that's probably the most creative advice we've heard so far. Uh, right. But. <laughs> oh, don't, don't. I mean, you know, good artists borrow, great artists steal. Picasso, uh, <laughs> yeah. and he's right. If you, if you, if someone else has cracked that code, right, you just want to, you know, buy him dinner and, and hear half the story so you can steal the rest. I love it. Get close to the Collisons. <laughs> that's the first answer. That, that's, a, like that. that's a great summary. Well, John, we know how busy you are. Thanks for making the time for it. And to the millions of viewers and, you know, hit subscribe, pass this on and over and out. Happy Wednesday. Yep. Happy Wednesday. Pleasure to great meet you, John.